Welcome to Hope Talks, Stories of Transformation. Hope Talks is a project of David's United Church of Christ in Canal Winchester, Ohio, and dedicated to providing stories with different perspectives of hope. As part of a mentoring collaborative with Uganda Christian University's journalism program, today's interview is conducted by a student in Mukono, Uganda. Hello, everybody. This is Diana Mbabazi and Nicolas Nampija in Uganda, Africa. Our guests today are a couple based in America, the African-Americans, and their performers, actors, dancers, and singers. They come from Columbus, Ohio. These people are part of a performing arts company called The Shutterbox Live. Today, we are focusing on their post-COVID experience in the industry and also focusing on the fact that they're African-American. We are interested in their perspective in the Black Lives Matter movement, and we're glad to have them here, Brandon and Noel Anderson. We welcome you both. Hi, Diana and Nicolette. Thank you so much for having us. We're honored to share from our home in Ohio to yours in Uganda. Greetings. I'm Noelle, of course, and I appreciate this opportunity to come on and talk to you both. Vernon, I'm going to start off with you. And I know you're the general manager of Columbus, Ohio, a performing arts company called Shadowbox Live. So I'd like you to tell us a bit about your performing art background and what Shadowbox is. I'm from a company called Shadowbox Live. We are a theater company that does a lot of different types of shows that do things like sketch comedy, dance theater, dramatic plays, and events for the community. It's a place where we do a lot of different things, all and they all focus on the performing arts. I got started there about 20 years ago. I was studying journalism and advertising and public relations like you guys are, and it turned out that I really loved it acting and singing more than I like to do journalism and advertising. So when I left college, I started to look for theater jobs and not so much, you know, jobs in marketing or, or, or journalism. I became a performer here. They tried me out. So I've been here ever since growing as an actor. It's been great. Noel, how about you? I understand you met Brandon as a performer at Shadowbox. What are your performing arts strengths? And what is it like for both of you not to be able to perform or have live performances for almost over 12 months due to the virus restrictions. At Shadowbox, we joined the same year. Side story, we found out we had kind of, we could have met at multiple times in our lives earlier prior because high school is the same. Middle school, we have the same circle of friends and we just barely missed each other. So that was a fun thing we learned. As far as uh, my performance at Shadowbox, I'm primarily a vocalist, a vocal director. Um, so I also teach other vocalists. I do vocal arrangements. I teach our harmonies and I also teach vocal classes. And I also play with the band. So I play piano and I play uh, flute as well. The past 12 months, well actually I think we by the time we we opened last week to live performances for the first time since March 12, 2020. So what's that 15 months? Without the outlet of, of live performance, both Brandon and I started to kind of explore uh, the other interests that we have, particularly Brandon as a writer. So even though, yeah. you know, he said he preferred acting and, and singing after college, that writing aspect uh, stuck with him. And he's really started to develop his, his writing skills. He actually has a side gig where he's writing articles on a regular basis. He has a blog that he publishes to a regular basis. So I build websites. I'm learning how to build mobile apps um, and both of these kind of 
seeming unrelated tasks to the arts have actually helped us uh, kind of explore and expand what we do at Shadowbox. It's been really fun. So for listeners outside the U.S., what is the Black Lives Matter movement and are you involved in it? Ah, yes. (laughs) Black Lives Matter is, uh, it, it started as a sentiment that, it, it, it's it's to speak against the police brutality against black people and yeah. brutality in general the cry it's almost a battle cry to say hey we our lives matter stop killing us yeah. we're human too see us for who we are i don't want to say that i'm directly involved which is to say i don't go to protests i don't go to meetings I don't um, necessarily network with people uh, who find themselves active in the movement, but I do support it. It's beneficial um, to all of us to get the message out to all of our all of our friends and our allies that we need help. We've been screaming this for years and years, and in the past year, with the death of George Floyd, it's like everybody in the U.S. kind of woke up and went, "Oh, this is what you guys have been talking about," which has been extremely enlightening. <laughs> Do you think due to the George Floyd incidents, that's when um, everyone else got the message? Do you think the message was well received that Black lives actually matter? I think that, um, you know, racism in America is something that people, I mean, everywhere uh, around the world, I feel that people understand that there is racism in America. And I think sometimes here, um, when we are in, you know, for the past few decades, we've tried to overcome that kind of racism in our culture. And a lot of times people feel that it's a thing of the past, especially when, you know, President Obama was elected, you know, people thought, oh, well, America's, there's not that much racism in America anymore because we've elected a black president. Black people do important things. And it, it sounded like the end to this great story of the end of racism. And then what people fail to understand is that just because that happened, it didn't take away the feelings and sentiment that white people in America and black people in America have felt for for years, you know, it wasn't magic. And I think when George Floyd was murdered, for black people, we said, we knew that this would happen and it has been happening. White people, broadly, and this is broadly, white people felt that they were surprised that this was still a kind of a thing that came that that was still happening so i think it just reminded a lot of folks that racism is still a very 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 big problem jumping into something actually that is serious racial equality so noel um i've been intrigued by a facebook post of yours where you had it was showing a black woman wearing a mask that had been under threat what exactly does that mean? So as a, um, as a African-American woman, um, there have been many times in my life that I have faced uh, microaggressions where people will judge me just by the look of me. And that overall judgment tends to be one of fear um, that I'm going to come across as the angry black woman. I'm going to fly off the handle at any point. I'm emotional. I'm irrational. I can't be trusted just because we're different. Just because I am a black woman does not mean you need to automatically fear me. I am not a threat. I am not going to attack you. I want to live my life the way you want to live your life. Biggest thing to go back to definitely is microaggressions. And those are, the small moments that happen around the workplace when you're in a mixed company, in an environment where maybe you're 
one of few black women around and you have to deal with questions like, can I touch your hair or Hey girlfriend, let's have a conversation or, you know, your friends, you know, your, 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 your non-black friends trying to use vernacular slang yeah. It, it all yeah. together, it's, it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? It's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, of absent-minded acting that kind of comes together to, uh, to create this dehumanizing effect. And I think that, um, again, in light of the past year of kind of this racial awakening that America has been going through, you know, I, I do feel that Black women have felt a little more empowered to speak uh, out more about these aggressions. I know that I personally have felt more mm-hmm. empowered to speak and be heard. It's not that we haven't been having these feelings all this time. It's just that yeah. in the past year, it finally feels like there is a reception to the message that we're trying to say. And I have, I have friends, I have white friends that are genuinely trying to to understand, to get on the same level, to make me feel comfortable. And all of it is just so well appreciated. So it's, it's a, we are a long way off from anything that I would call, you know, on equal footing. But for the first time in my life, I feel mm-hmm. like there's at least enough visibility and awareness that we can okay, finally yeah. start to make some real change. Brandon, as a Black man in the United States, have you ever experienced discrimination have you ever felt it yes i have been i have felt discrimination in my life um and i and oddly enough i kind of wasn't expecting it when i got older because um i grew up knowing what to do um and i mean that like i knew that you had to be polite to police officers and i knew that you had to um if you got pulled over uh, to, to keep your hands visible so people can see you, to say, yes, sir, no, sir, uh, yes, officer, no, officer, whatever that was. So I knew all these rules. And yeah. so I felt like I worked hard in school. I got educated. I went to a good college, you know, and I thought that I, you know, those kind of prejudices wouldn't affect me, you know, because I could, I could give the best part of my Blackness to people. I remember being stopped by the police my first time. And I was just as scared as anybody would have been. And I never thought it was going to be like that for me and until, until it was, you know? So I was, I definitely felt discrimination and I thought, and I was one of those people, honestly, when I was a younger adult that, yeah, we we're, we're over it. I had tons of white friends. I went to schools with lots of white people. <laughs> I knew I, 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 I didn't feel different until... Yeah until I was told I was, you know. We've been watching the news from here in Uganda and we, uh, whatever happens out there gets to us. So about this whole George Floyd incident and the accusations against the white policeman, how do you feel about African-Americans and their relationship with the police? I have an interesting feeling about this because my, my cousin um, is a police officer. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, he's also in the recruitment uh, area of, of police. And he, for his part, I think he tries desperately to change the view of the, the built-in fear that I think comes with being around African-American men in particular. 
because what I feel when it comes to police is for the most part, at least I want to believe that most white police officers aren't gunning to go out and shoot a black man. Now, that's not true for all of them. I do recognize there are some that just got in there just because they, you know, they were bullied in high school and they wanted to have that gun to, to, to get their power. But for the most part, I, what I think is what we're seeing with the relationship between African-Americans, particularly African-American men and the police is just uh, years and years and years of this misinformation about the level of violence that you are supposed to expect if you are approaching uh, a group of black men or a single black man that you need to automatically have your guard up, which is why you see so many more of, of our men getting shot by police than you don't normally do, you know, white or any other uh, race. And I think that in, you know, in the past year, you know, George Floyd wasn't the first uh, cell phone video to hit uh, the internet. Um, and it just seemed like, you know, the more, the more we shine a light on it, the more we're finding uh, of all of these kind of uh, examples. And we've got a, we've got a very, very, very long way to go and build that trust that you're you're taught as a child to trust you know the police officers are there to help you as performing artists slash actors and singers in today's media today's movies today's music today's how is how is this movement being you know broadcasted in these different centers of different points in our lives and also the portrayal of um, the struggle between the police and the black man in movies is quite different from the the actual general reality. So, what what do you have to say about that? I think that movies and TV need to talk about the good and the bad on both sides of any issue. And I think that you know, in American television and movies, we always want to have a hero who's defeating something or someone who is evil. I think that a great villain is somebody who you don't know, who you've always been told is, is, is a bad person. And I think that what TV and films need to help us understand is, is kind of just break out of that cycle and start to tell, start to teach people the kind of the more, the real truths about the things that separate us like class. There are things that happen between rich people and poor people all around the world. And I think that in our country, it's been easily, you can easily mask that rich poor struggle between black and white people because those are the power structures. Noel, I have a question for you as a black woman. This rise of feminism and everyone is a feminist and we're doing this and we're supporting women and equality for all. But then as a black woman, how has your struggle been different? Well, <laughs> When it comes to the feminist movement, it has always been seen as a white woman's movement. There's, you know, reason for that in the historical context. And a lot of that has to do with the structure of America and the fact that, you know, Black women just really didn't have a voice to get in. The biggest problem that we as Black women have in the feminist struggle is that our issues are seen as niche issues. They're seen as side issues that distract from the bigger goal of feminine equality across all lines. So when we when we want to talk about issues that are, you know, that are specific to us, it's always a, okay, well, yeah, 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 we can kind of add that, but we really need to focus on the larger issues. And unfortunately, those larger issues 
tend to almost always be from a white perspective, but it's telling part of the story. If we don't want to also talk about the specific stories that have happened to all women of color that, you know, that white women can't directly relate to, but need to be able to support if we're talking about a, a full feminine support. So, you know, so we do have black feminists and it feels weird to say that. Like, why do I, why do I have to qualify the fact that I am black and a woman, if we're talking about women's issues, why can't we talk about all women's issues and not just the majorities? So it's frustrating. It's something that that is not moving at a pace that that I would like to see it. Um, uh, that you know, until until we can really kind of gather everybody's stories and use them as the the collective story for all instead of saying well that's a black issue you know that's a that's 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 a latina issue that's that's an asian woman issue you know that's not the the bigger picture and so we get to that point you know feminism is just begging to be struck down as not being serious because we're not unified in what we're trying to do and you actually talked about standards and it got me thinking about the different standards of beauty that have been set across. And the standards we had, we were looked, we were looking on and we were reflecting on and being inspired by what white women's standard. That a beautiful woman is a tiny, you know, blue-eyed, blonde hair. And those are not things African women have. What do you have to say about this white standard of beauty? <laughs> I would like to think that it's it's slowly being dismantled. You know, so many body positivity movements that are are trying to to get away from the, you know the skinny as a rail. Unfortunately, we have a long way to go still when it comes to black women and their hair. There is awareness that is being brought to it. You know, we there are movies and books and all kinds of things that you know I I know I personally try to to share with my white friends as often as I possibly can. And every time it's always like, oh, wow, really? As we conclude, we were wanted to know if you had any final thoughts to give out there. Any final remarks from you and Brandon? Brandon, would you like to go first? Uh, yeah, I think that for me, um, I just, um, I am so nervous and grateful for this time in our country right now. Um, I think that we are at a really, really interesting intersection or, 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 or crossroads here where people have an opportunity to, to, to make the choices, to stand up and make choices that are, that are the right ones. You know, the internet and, and, and people on, with the video cameras on their phones have been able to show us that racism is everywhere and uh, there's a lot of work to do. And so I'm glad that people see it but I'm nervous about who will stand up and say no more. So that, that's where I am. I'm hopeful, but I'm nervous. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think that's everything for me. Noel, how about you? For me, I just continue to go back to being hopeful in the youth and the young adults in, in the world, honestly. The fact that there were Black Lives Matters protests around the world gave me a level of hope that I, I don't think I've ever had in my life uh, when it comes to uh, race relations and, and how I'm viewed in, in, in society. I can't help but hope that with the advent of, of you know, with the, the, the way that the younger generation has grown up being connected through the internet and social media, that 
there's a chance that we might be able to overcome our differences. We are coming to the end of our interview and been quite interesting. But before we close up, um, Noel and Brandon, do you have any questions for us? It's been so fun. Um, Mm -hmm. to talk to you because of the ties that bind, you know, good or bad. And I'm, I'm curious to know what, what your, what your experiences have been like, Um, you know, if, if, if you've, you've faced discrimination, if you've seen those kinds of things in your life and what, what those look like for you kind of across the pond. Say I haven't faced any racial discrimination, but in my country, we have tribal discrimination. So we have so many tribes, really many, I can't break them down. And personally, I could say, um, I could talk about my tribe. I could say um, I'm Uganda. And then we have issues cutting across with different tribes like Babanyankole. So there is the, the discrimination that comes along is um, at workplaces, it's not easy to, to, to get a job if you don't happen to be coming from that tribe. So if you're related to the racial discrimination you guys are facing in your country, if you don't belong to that particular tribe, you're not going to have your way in this country. If you can't speak a particular language, it's going to be hard for you to have a pass in the country. To get a job, you need to have connections, but in, in a tribal way, you must have a friend who belongs to that tribe who may kind of kind of squeeze you in. But if I, I can't say it's really easy when it comes to tribal discrimination. That's, that, that's my opinion. How about you, Diana? Me personally, I actually just a smaller question from uh, an Arab lady. We were at a Turkish restaurant with my friend and well, generally we were like in that section, we we're like the only two, but it's my country, so I don't want to the only two black people, but then we're the only two Ugandans sitting there. So this lady walks up to us and she starts flicking bottle covers in our direction because she just doesn't want us, you know, near her family. So, which was great. <laughs> I was honestly in shock. I was like, so even in my own country, country, even in my own motherland, I will be treated like this. Well, that's nice to know that this is actually still going on. And that was like two years ago. And um, I actually, we would love to hear the beautiful vocals that belong to Noel if she wouldn't mind gracing us. I think she could wrestle that up. <laughs> could you give us a short acapella, I should say. Could, and, take, you know. could just take some seconds, but we would love to hear you singing. Because you have a great uh, vocal. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, um, yeah, I'd like to, uh, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna do, I'm gonna attempt uh, at this, uh, in our time at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, to do a little, um, uh, to do a little Aretha Franklin. Um, it's a song called Think. Yeah. <sighs> so um, move my mic, make sure it doesn't get too hot. <clears throat> Here we go. You better think. Think about what you're trying to do to me. Oh, think. Let your mind go. Let yourself be free. Mm. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go way on way back when. I didn't even know you. You couldn't have been too much more than 10. 
Mm-hmm. I ain't no psychiatrist, I ain't no doctor with degrees, but it don't take too much high to see what you're doing to me. You better think, think about what you're trying to do to me. I'll think, let your mind go, let yourself be free. Oh, freedom, 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 yeah, freedom. Whoa, that's some powerful stuff. Wow, okay, okay. <laughs> Okay, wow, like, <laughs> for starters, that was a great choice of a song. Aretha Franklin is a legend. You literally have all of us in the studio just bowing. And- <laughs> <laughs> Not believing what's going on. <laughs> for a moment, I felt like I was with you. I told you, freedom, it felt so good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you, I appreciate that. Thank you guys so much. We really appreciate. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having us. This was this was an amazing experience. Thank you very much. We're so honored to share this with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So this has been Nicolette Nampicha and Babazi Diana, students of journalism at Chiganda Christian University in Mukono. Our conversation today has been with American performers and may I say social justice activists Noel and Brandon Anderson. If you have any comment about this podcast or an idea for a future podcast on a story of transformation, send an email to hoptops at davidsuck.net. Thank you. Till next time. Thank you for listening to this segment of Hope Talks. I hope you join us again. And please encourage others to listen and check out other David's United Church of Christ programs at davidsucc.net. It is our hope that your day is filled with hope.